0: Well, that's the power of the gospel, Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's not our our strength, it's not our works, it's his. He's done it, and he does it if we'll let him. And uh, that's the good news, that's what makes the gospel so different from any other philosophy or religion that's out there. We have a living, risen Savior who dwells in us by his Spirit. And if we will walk in faith, allow him, it's Christ in us, it's not us anymore. And that's good news. It's good news for me because I blow it all the time in and of myself. But if I can allow him, if I can just yield to him, he does it. And uh, and he has grace for us when we do fail. So that's the good news. And today I want to emphasize the good news by talking about a subject you don't hear much about. And it's a shame, but uh, I'm going to talk about holiness today, a vision of the holy. The holiness of God. And, you know, the culture that we live in really has lost any sense of holy or holiness, right? I mean, come on, when was the last time you heard a sermon on the holiness of God? I mean, there are some out there, I'm sure, but, you know, you turn on the TV and you're not going to hear, probably, a sermon on the holiness of God. There's all, all kinds of good things we can hear. But I'm just saying, the idea of holiness... Is not regarded much in this culture. There are um, agnostics out there. There are people who take the Lord's name in vain. There is a disrespect for authority. Our culture is very loose. You know, I came out of uh, in the mission field Asian culture. Asian culture has some protocol and some respect for others, and, and, you know, not saying that they're better culture or not, but they do have the idea of respect for authority, respect for elders and things, and we're kind of losing that in America. And uh, even the church can lose sight of what holiness is all about because we can perhaps often do relegate it to some moral principle, some distant moral principle. Yes, God is holy. We know that. And he wants us to be holy. And it becomes, a, well, we got to be better. we got to be righteous and things like that. And that's part of holiness. But that's not all there is to it. So it's not just a distant moral principle. There is a power in the holiness of God. And there is good news in the holiness of God. And when we get a vision of the holy, it can change our life. And it's certainly going to enhance your spiritual walk if we come back to this vision of the holy. And I've been talking about how we see things that are invisible. We, we are spiritual beings. We need to get a spiritual vision of God's holiness. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And a prime key passage to study this is in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And so I'm going to read this passage. And as I read it, I want you to put yourself into the place of Isaiah. Put yourself in the passage and, and think about what he must have seen, what he felt, what kind of emotions might have been running through him in this episode, and just how you know how would you have felt in this situation if you were seeing what he saw, hearing what he heard, and so on. And that's really a good practice whenever you read the Bible in any situation. Uh, if there's a a story, a a historical event or something, put yourself in the passage. It'll open your eyes to many things in Scripture. Put yourself in the passage. But today especially, let's use our imaginations and, and think of ourselves in Isaiah's place. And so it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. What does that look like? What do you think it looked like? And the train of his robe filled the temple, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then, do we have the next verse up there? Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Okay, so how did you feel in that? There's a there. What, what would it feel like to be in the presence of the glory of God? What would it be to be in that presence? And... What kind of awe might you experience being before the throne of the highest, most holy throne in all the universe? I mean, if you went before any uh, king on earth or president and, and you saw the lush office and everything, you'd probably, no matter who it was, whether you like him or not, you'd have sort of an awe. You're, you're walking into this place of authority. But Imagine going beyond human stuff and going to the straight to the King of kings, Lord of lords, and being in his presence. There is awe. And there should be a sense of awe in our walk with God. Unfortunately, the church doesn't have a whole lot of awe. We turn the church into something of, what can God do for me? We have a kind of a magic genie type of faith. Lord, bless me. And then when something goes wrong, why didn't you bless me and things? And and we can easily take for granted the love of God that He gave His Son for us that we could come into this presence. But we forget about it, and we forget that this is a holy God. And that should bring us to a place that it brought Isaiah. So there is instruction. We we you know, holiness is an essential attribute of God. You know, we talk about God as love. Uh, But here it says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. So we have to become more in sync, in connection with this key attribute. Because if we don't uh, acknowledge one of the key attributes of our Lord, it's like having a best friend or a spouse or something and not knowing one of their key attributes. You don't know their name. You're married to this person. You don't know their name. It's kind of silly. And yet we neglect this attribute of God. And it harms us because then it it puts us in a weaker spiritual walk. And I hope by the end of this you'll understand how this can strengthen your spiritual walk to get a vision of the holy. So in the passage, Isaiah had several uh, sensory uh, actions here. He saw something. He saw. He spoke. And he was touched by something. And he heard, and he responded. Okay, so he saw, he spoke, he was touched, he heard, and he responded. And I'm going to suggest as we go through this, that this is what we are to, to be in. We should be seeing, we should be um speaking, we should be touched and we should be hearing and responding. And we we can when we go through this. So first of all, Isaiah saw something. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. So Isaiah saw something of the glory and holiness of God. And we can see that too. He had a vision of it. All right, we don't necessarily get these kind of visions. You can, I'm sure, but it doesn't happen often. And instead, we have the Word. Because Isaiah got this vision, he saw a spiritual reality. And it was manifest in a vision. Um, but we can see it the same way with our hearts. We can see the invisible. That's what I've been teaching on the past few weeks, seeing the invisible, we have to get our hearts in a place and God will reveal his secrets to us. As we walk in faith, we choose the right things, we refuse the wrong things, and we yield ourselves to him, we can see what Isaiah saw, even through this passage. So what did he see? He saw something of an invisible reality that the world does not see. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. And it's very interesting. It says it's the year that King Uzziah died. And King Uzziah died, so he's contrasting, when pomp and majesty died, yet he saw the invisible reality of the Lord high and lifted up, high and lifted up in which it would be forever. King Uzziah actually died a leper. So it's a, a lesson for us about what we see. The world has a lot of pomp and majesty out there, but it's a lot of pomp and majesty in leprous things. It can look good for a while, but it's gonna die. It can look good for a while, but it's gonna bring forth bad things, bad results. You know, sin looks so tempting, looks so good, but in the end, it brings forth leprous results. So, pomp and majesty that we see in the natural is not always the real thing, and, and very seldom is the real thing. When I went to Bulgaria, I had a great mission trip in Bulgaria, and the key um, church there was the Eastern Orthodox Church. And they had these beautiful, uh, beautiful cathedrals all over, and so I wanted to go into one. So my host took me into one, and when I walked into this beautiful Eastern Orthodox cathedral and saw all these things, I guess they had all these uh, icons and things that supposed to teach the gospel and, and just all kinds of decor, the beautiful architecture, the beauty of the paintings and the ceiling and all that stuff, when I walked in there, it was like the angels started chorusing and went, oh, my breath was taken away. And I thought, oh. And then as I walked around, it didn't take but a few minutes. I'm looking around in awe. But in a few minutes, it was all gone. It's like, wait a second. The Lord's not in this place. He wasn't. He w- you know, It was all decor, it was all pomp and majesty that my eyes could see for a moment, but my spirit didn't get anything out of it. And in fact, when I see nothing, I'm in prayer, I can close my eyes, my spirit can be filled with that glory way more than what I experienced in, in that cathedral. So the lesson is, you've got to be looking for the glory in the right place. You know, even a lot of Christians will say, I went to Israel and the Bible came alive. And, and uh, I felt so close to God there. And that's great. I'm not saying you can't. I'm sure you can. But I know another guy that went. I've not been to Israel yet. I'm looking forward to it at some point. But I had a friend that went. And he, he didn't feel anything when he was in Israel. And he was praying. And he asked the Lord, why don't I sense your presence here? And he sensed the Lord speaking to him. I'm not confined to Israel. You can experience me anywhere. And it's the truth. As long as we have this word, we can see and we can be in his presence. And we learn. So he saw the kingly majesty of the Lord on his throne with the pomp and majesty of the world fading away, dying. And that's what's happening around us. It's good news that the pomp and majesty of the world fades away and dies. Because we don't like what's going on right now. And even in the best setup in this world, the whole earth is full of his glory. It's so wonderful and awesome that there is glory on this earth, but it's a corrupt earth, and it's a passing away earth. Can you imagine the glory that we're exposed to in the age to come when the Lord returns and sets up his kingdom? It's a glory that's not going to be tainted with this corruption. It's not going to be bothered by the curse. It's not going to be fading away. It's going to last forever, and I'm willing to wait for that. A lot of people aren't. A lot of people want it now. I'd like to have it now, but it's so worth the wait. If we can see this, if we can get a vision of the holy and what we're going to, it would it would fuel us in our walk. Now, what Isaiah saw was the foundation shaking and smoke filling the house. Here's where we learn it. God's holiness is jaw-dropping. There is some awe there. So, so there is power and there's jaw-dropping awe, not just holy as being very good and being uh, righteous, but there is power behind it. So what does holiness really mean, then, if you're saying, it's, well, it's not just a moral value of things? Holiness is, really, in the Hebrew, the meaning is set apart or other. There's, you can read other things. There's Of course, there's righteousness. There's a devoted aspect in holiness, but ultimately it means set apart or other. And when we mean set apart, we don't just mean, well, this is better. Than, this is like set apart. None like it. David found Goliath's sword, and he said, and there's none like it. You know, we talk about heroes and people we admire, and people want to stick Jesus in there, but you can't stick Jesus in with heroes and people we admire. There's none like him. He's off the charts. And that's what we're going to learn when we see this in the Spirit. God is off the charts. He is holy, holy, holy. Three times they spoke that. And we'll get to that. So we are aligned with the God of heaven and earth who is off the charts. That he would come down to our level and to allow us to come up to his is something that should cause our jaws to drop and bring about awe. So the seraphim, what else did Isaiah see? He saw, he saw the kingly majesty. He saw the foundations shake and the smoke filled the the house. And he saw seraphim. And the seraphim point out to us that we are not alone. There are angelic beings and there are demons. There are spiritual entities working in this universe. And man is not just it. In the drama of redemption, there are all kinds of spiritual influences that we deal with. And a lot of people in the church don't. Recognize that they think everything just natural causes. Or I feel down today just because I'm sick, or or I'm having a, you know, you could be influenced by demonic influences. And I'm not saying there's a demon behind every bush. You can get carried away with that. But I think sometimes we get on the other end, and we don't think there's anything spiritual going on when there is spiritual warfare happening. Anyway. This points us to that. And Isaiah saw the seraphim. And the seraphim, very interestingly, had to cover their faces with two of their wings. They couldn't look upon God's holiness. It was too jaw-dropping. It was too awe-inspiring. It, was, it created uh, a sense of, I can't look. at. It. it was just too much, too holy. All they could do was cry out. But we, we can. Isaiah saw it. While the seraphim had to cover their eyes, Isaiah was watching this all take place. And it says in scripture that angels are looking into these things. God didn't die for the angels. God didn't provide salvation for the angels. He went after the angels to us. We're made a little lower than angels, and he provided everything for us. The angels are glorious beings, and yet they were not permitted to look upon or they couldn't look upon the holiness of God, and yet we are invited to look upon it, even partake in it, and even to practice it, to be holy as he is holy. And this is a privilege that we can even have salvation. God bypassed the angels and came to man. What is man that you are mindful of him? So what could the angels do? The seraphim could not look. They had to speak. And they said, holy, holy, holy. And here they said it three times. And whenever something is repeated in Scripture, it usually means to pay attention, or this is important. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say to you, those words, verily, verily, amen, amen, that was a signal to perk up. Listen, this is important. You've got to hear this. You know, he said, Saul, Saul, why do you, you know, he's trying to get your attention. So you say something once from the mouth of Jesus, it's important. But twice, it's like, perk up, pay attention. But now, here we have three, three times the angels are saying, holy, holy, holy. So it must be very essential, important, something to notice about the Lord. And again, I'm saying, often in the church, we neglect this attribute. Holy, holy, holy. That's all they could do was cry, holy, holy, holy. I wonder if when we get to heaven... That's all we're going to be able to do is say, holy, holy, holy. Um, I know some people say, well, I, I'll have questions for God when I get to heaven. Why did this happen? I want to know something. And I always think, no, when you get to heaven and you stand before him, you're probably going to fall to your knees and say, holy, holy, holy. You know, There might be a time to ask questions later, but I think you would be too filled with awe and glory. And all these questions are going to fade away because it'll be over. The curse will be gone. It'll be like, that doesn't even matter anymore. We are in the presence of the one high and lifted up. Woo! I'm getting goosebumps up here. All right, so, holy, holy, holy. Now, the angel said that, and what did Isaiah do? Okay, I'm, I'm through with what he saw. He saw this, and he heard the angel say that. He spoke. Because he saw, he spoke. And he said, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, among a people of unclean lips. In the light of God's holiness, you see yourself. You know, we don't really understand just how far short we fall from the glory of God. As it says in Romans chapter 3, we all fall short of the glory of God. But when you get a vision of His Holiness, something happens where you just understand your true self. And it causes you to say, woe is me, I am undone. That, that translation says lost. And what does it mean to say, I am a man of unclean lips? Have you ever had unclean lips? Anyone have kids, give them a jelly donut or something? You look and it's all over their face and they don't even know it. They're just all unclean lips, all over their face. They don't even know it. Or you can have something on your own mouth. You know, you're talking to someone and they say, You got something on your mouth. I mean, they can't, they don't want to look at you with that thing on your mouth. It's unclean lips. And so I'm thinking of, you know, the discomfort. Uh, If I feel like I've eaten something and I need to wipe, got a napkin, I got to wipe this, it's a very uncomfortable feeling. So you got all this. You can feel uncomfortable about yourself. Or you might not even know it's there, but you're not looking right before the other. You're not looking right before God with unclean lips. And also, I really believe the unclean lips represents how far we are from our words. We speak, we express things, but we don't give the ultimate truth about ourselves. How are you doing today? I'm fine. No, you're not. You're not fine. (laughs) You're having a rough day. But you're not going to express that true truth Inner depth of yourself. That's not what you're supposed to do when someone asks how you're doing. You're just supposed to say, I'm fine. But the point is, you know, our whole representation of ourselves, you know, we want to look good. We want to speak good. We want to present ourselves well. And we do, relatively speaking, if we're paying attention and being courteous and considering others, we do. But before God, everything that we can present as good falls. We are not good in in the sight of something so set apart and other and pure and righteous. So what are we to do? And Isaiah cried, woe is me. When John saw Jesus in Revelation, he fell at his feet as dead. When Peter saw Jesus bring forth the fish in the great miracle of the fish catch, he said, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And that's what we want to do. We want to run from God. And that's why I believe a lot of people don't want to face the Lord. They don't want to mess with church. They don't want to get into the Word to see what it teaches. But they miss something. Because if it was just up to us, like I said at the beginning, it would be a woe is me situation. But there's good news, and we see it in this passage in Isaiah. He cried out, woe is me but then something happened and he was touched by the lord through the angel through the tongues with burning coals mercy and grace are amplified in this passage mercy and grace are amplified in view of god's holiness you know a lot of people don't appreciate their salvation we can take it for granted we say god loves you and we say yeah i know god loves me and and we just go about not being affected by it because we, we can take it for granted because we don't have a view of that holiness and understand how undeserving we really are. If you had the greatest weight of guilt upon you and you wronged someone and, and you owed them thousands and thousands of dollars and you, and you couldn't sleep at night because you were so guilty and then you saw that person forgive you, love you, and even pay your debt for you, you'd be so in love and, and so appreciative, want to respond and, and bless that and, and, and live to, to be, be a value to that person, right? I had a, a friend in China that rescued me out of a situation. She helped me in a great time of need. And it was just like I thought, she bought me. I'm hers. I'm her brother forever. I'll do whatever she asks. And so she got me talking to all these different places and churches and things. And I, I won't say no to her. It's because she purchased me, <laughs> so to speak. And how much more Jesus. These, it, it was God that took care of Isaiah's woe is me. And it's God that takes care of our situation. We need to see our sinful condition so that we can receive God's supreme solution. God comes with these, with grace. And the tongues, uh, the burning coals. As you're standing there as Isaiah and you see these burning coals coming, I mean, I'm surprised it didn't say that he flinched or he screamed when they touched his lip. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say he feared these burning coals. I think a lot of people fear coming to the Lord because they think, I can't do it, or it's going to be too hard to give something up, or it's going to be too difficult what he wants of me. But we don't see any reaction like that we just see a positive result. God does something. It doesn't even hurt. It looks like it's going to burn. It looks like it's going to be impossible to let the Lord touch us and change us. But he does it, and it doesn't produce a wound. It heals the wound. And after that, everything changes. Uh, in Hebrews 10, 19 to 22, it talks about having boldness since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us. We didn't do it. He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Again, this is the Lord's work. We don't have to get it together to come before Him. We don't have to make ourselves better. We can't make ourselves better. But we come forth in the boldness of faith, full assurance of faith. Faith in what? Faith in what we did and how good we are to get in his presence? No. We're saying, woe is me. I can't do it. Well, how can I go into his presence then? Only by faith. Jesus took care of this. And he washed me. He sprinkled me clean from the evil conscience. His blood cleanses us. His, our bodies washed with the pure water. That means our inside and outside is acceptable to go before God. doesn't matter where you've been or what happened the last minute. You have a throne of grace. And it's because of these tongues, the grace of God. God did something on our behalf, sent his son on our behalf that we wouldn't have to measure up. He measured up for us. We receive it. And then something happens. We're washed, we're cleansed, and we're free. We're clean. You feel good after a good shower? I feel great. I don't want to go back out and get dirty again. Although we do. Let's take another shower. But this is a once for all. He cleanses you. Well, it's not once for all. If you do sin, 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we can always get that cleansing. But it's not us changing. It's him that does it. He's the one that does the washing. He's the one that does the cleansing. And he allows us to come into the holy presence of his holiness. And that is something to be thankful for and to say, you've, you've purchased me. I'm yours. And that's what we... He heard He heard the Lord say, who will go for us? Okay? So when you see the holiness of God and you see your condition... And you speak the truth. You confess, I need help, or woe is me. I, I, Jesus is Lord. It says, confess Jesus is Lord. You see something, you speak it, and then he does something. You know, With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. God brings the salvation when you confess. He touches you. And when you've been touched, you've been washed, you've been cleansed, you didn't do it, he did it. He took care of your unclean lips. That puts you in a position where you can hear God now. You can hear him. Isaiah heard the Lord say, who will go for us? And because the Lord purchased us, we want to do his will. We want to do, here here am I, send me. So he responded. Do you want to hear what the Lord is saying in your life? Do you want to hear what the word of God actually says? You can read the word and never hear it. You can hear a sermon and never hear it. But you can open your ears by yielding to the Lord's holiness, understanding who you are, what you've received, and by faith receiving Christ, You know, not just for salvation, but every day saying, He is Lord. He does it. It's His grace. Christ in me. And that puts you in a position where you can hear more. And the more you hear, faith comes by hearing the word and by hearing the word of God, Romans 10. 16 or 17, one of those. But faith comes. And, and when as your faith builds up, you get stronger. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So it's a beautiful thing, holiness. It is, it is not just moral and righteous, it is, but it's pure, pure, pure. It's set apart. It's way other than anything, but it's in the highest sense other. And he invites us to be in on it. Now, We can go boldly before him and live boldly before him, free and without fear. But there's coming a day when the world will eventually see the holiness of God, and it will create fear. The time is coming. We don't don't shy away that there's judgment that's going to happen on this earth. Why? Because the earth is not holy, and God is. And if there's ever going to be the reign of Christ on this earth, in the sense that it's Physically and naturally happening, as the Bible teaches, it will in the future. Then judgment must take place, purging must take place. But when Jesus returns, it's not going to be the tongues of mercy. It's going to be the final elimination of the curse and judgment, and it's going to be way more than woe is me, as it says in Revelation, verse 16. Uh, Revelation chapter 6, verse 15 to 17 says. And the kings of the earth, the pomp and majesty, and the great ones, and the generals, all the high important, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand?" You remember, Isaiah saw the foundations shaking and smoke filling the temple. And here, in this great day of the land, the earth is quaking. And they're calling, they're calling on the mountains and rocks to fall upon us and hide us because they can't stand the smoke of fire and brimstone and judgment that's coming. When they realize, they get a glimpse of what they've done and who they are. See, we've gotten that already. So it says, who can stand? Who will be able to stand you and me. Why? Because we have received the blessing of mercy and grace and the purchase of Jesus Christ, who saved us from the wrath to come, who even calls us to be a part with him in the judgment to come, that we will judge with him. We have the highest privileges right now. We judge the spiritual Entities, wickednesses and principalities and powers, we have authority over those things because of what Jesus has done. He's raised us up if we've died with him. Who can stand in that day? The believers. And that day's coming. Are you going to be standing with us? That's the question. Do you want to stand now in the evil day? Ephesians 6 says, put on the armor of God. We're here, we've got the armor that doesn't fail. And we've got the blessing that doesn't fail. Well, I don't feel blessed right now. You will be, because God always leads us in triumph in Christ. 2 Corinthians 2.14 We go through stuff. You're going to go through stuff till the end. But you're guaranteed victory with his armor. And because he's already seated you with him at the right hand of God. That's the good news of of the gospel. I can appreciate this grace of God and what he's given me and the freedom I have to allow him to work in me. I I always appreciate it, but when I understand the holiness of God, just how awesome and above and apart he really is and the glory that lasts forever and how it might be if I didn't have this, it makes me appreciate all the more what Jesus has done. It makes me love him all the more. And it will make you love him all the more. You'll want to serve him all the more. You'll say, here hear I. Send me. I'm ready. For it's God who works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13. So, may your jaws drop and your hearts enlarge. Receive the grace of God because he is holy. Amen. Father, thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your grace to us. And we do say you are holy, and we thank you that you're holy, Lord, that you would allow us to partake in that and to work that even into our own lives. Help us to be set apart for you and to enjoy all your works as you, you uh, bring us to that point in this world that is coming with victory and forgiveness and grace. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.